Welcome back to Not Too Busy to Write. I'm Penny Windsor, author and book coach. Today, I'm speaking to Lucy Werner. She's a PR expert and founder of The Wern, an agency specializing in PR and branding for creative small businesses. Not only does she teach PR to authors and handle PR for authors, she has also written and promoted two books of her own, Hype Yourself, a no-nonsense PR toolkit for small businesses, and Brand Yourself, a no-nonsense brand toolkit for small businesses, co-written with her creative director and husband, Adrienne Chatelet. Lucy really does know the world of book PR from multiple angles. And in our conversation today, she talks through why thinking about PR and marketing is really crucial for all writers and why social media metrics are not the be all and end all and what we can be thinking about instead. We talk through everything Lucy has done to promote her own work, starting from zero public presence to getting her dream paid speaking gig. Lucy is an absolute goldmine of information and her enthusiasm and energy for what she does is enough to get even the most reluctant writer dipping their toes in the PR waters. Whether publishing is a long way off for you or you have an imminent publication date or if you are neglecting to promote a book that you have already published, um, this is an episode for you. Enjoy the conversation. Lucy, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Penny. It's, I've wanted to be on your podcast for years. I know. It's been a long time coming. We have so much to talk about today. We have so much to talk about. Um, so I really would love to start with, I'd love to hear how you describe yourself yeah. <laughs> and what you do. So if you don't know me, my name is Lucy Werner. My background is in PR. So I worked for a lot of big agencies and in-house. And then I set up my own consultancy seven years ago. Um, Along the way, my husband got made redundant and wasn't going to qualify for Patley. So he joined the business. So then we were a PR and branding consultancy together. Um, And now we've kind of shifted more and we do a lot more DIY teaching and workshops to basically help all the amazing creatives out there to build their brand and take themselves out there. And on that journey, I popped out two books as well. (laughs) So there's a lot of overlap between me talking about building your brand and PR, but also my own personal experience of doing that for my own books. Um, And also, I guess, kind of as a follow-up to that, I ended up attracting a lot of authors. So I've worked Mm. with a lot of authors as well in the kind of the pre, during and post stages of their their book careers so we've got loads to matter about loads to talk about I this is why I so wanted you on the podcast because you obviously there's lots of great PR people out there lots of great experts um but but publishing is its own world Um, (laughs) it's a big it's a different beast it is a different and it's great for writers to have support and information from someone who really understands that journey and you understand it inside and out. You work, you have worked with authors and you have been an author two yeah. times and have had a really interesting experience, <laughs> which we're going to dive into. Um, and so, so I think the first thing I'd like to, to really start with is just PR, platform building, marketing. It's such a vital part of being a writer. And I know writers hate hearing that. Often writers, it's like the thing that they fear most about um, about their work because for a lot of people, it's not their natural kind of happy place to be doing that sort of thing. Um, but so tell me from your perspective, why is, why is PR and brand specifically and personal brand so important to be thinking about when you're an author? 
I mean, if you're not even at the I've got a proposal accepted stage, it actually can be the make or break between you getting a book deal because the reality is publishing houses don't have huge marketing departments or budgets. And the likelihood is, unless we're somebody quite famous, we're going to be quite a small fish in a big pond. So we're not going to be getting a huge amount of spend on us. Um, so yeah, even with my book deal, which I won after doing a book proposal challenge, um, she basically, Alison basically told me it was because, <laughs> I mean, not just this, but a, a large chunk of the reason that I got the book deal was because of my marketing and sales plan mm-hmm. that I did in attachment to it. And I think part of that is knowing that you have an audience to sell to because ultimately publishing houses aren't there to champion creativity. They're there to make money. So they want to know that if they take you on, there's a ripe audience there to get a lot of books. And that doesn't have to look like 100,000 followers on YouTube. That Mm. could be, do you know what? Actually, my husband works for this corporate office and I know that they would order 500 if I do a workshop for them it you know it doesn't have to look yeah. like the obvious things but you need to be showing that somehow somewhere you have an audience beyond the social media vanity metrics yeah I love the way you describe that because I think so often there is a focus on numbers and especially on social media but it has been proven that social media is is really quite crap for selling yeah. selling books. I mean, yeah. you know, TikTok aside, um, but that's really to do with viral readership and not to do with the author themselves. You know, book talk is massive, but it really isn't that's really word of mouth viralism. That's not mm-hmm. that's not something that's coming from the author. So that's kind of a different thing. But but really from when I talk when I um am working with people working on their proposals and we're talking about this section in the proposal that they're terrified of, which is the marketing section. <laughs> the re- what and you've described it so perfectly. How I describe it to them is you need to reassure a sales team that you know who your audience are, you know how to find them, and you feel confident finding them. That's what yeah. it is. It's about instilling confidence in a sales team. Because I've had a great experience with PR in-house in, ten, in terms of them being great people and having great contacts, but it is still 100%, 100% driven by the author, all of that work. Yeah. Always totally. driven by the author. Because you need to know who you are and who you're, what mm. your stories are and what you're prepared to share. And I think there's other things like having your own newsletter that people really take for granted. And they're not the sort of things that you can build up overnight. But actually, if you're in that book proposal writing stage or you've had your proposal accepted and you're in that that next bit, building up a newsletter is actually a great way to still kind of mm-hmm. keep that anonymity. I can't say in that word. <laughs> <laughs> to keep it on <laughs> and, and build your profile at the same time. And you can see this. You know, somebody like Emma Gannon, who's now yeah. literally like sacked off her podcast, which has hundreds of thousands, if not millions yeah. of downloads. Millions, yeah. She's just like, I I'm just want to focus on the writing. And now she's like one year into Substack and living her best life. Yeah. And, that's, and there's other writers on those sort of platforms as well. So it's I, I think it's actually, in some ways for me, it's never been more exciting to be a writer building up pure, yeah. your database, because all of a sudden you don't need to be on Instagram showing your avocado on toast. You can just be sat there, not showing your face, just writing. And writing. Just writing. Yeah, absolutely. And podcasting, a personal favorite of mine, obviously. Um, <laughs> so um, let's talk about your experience as an author, because there's so much we can explore from a PR point of view. <laughs> 
through yeah. your experience. So um, it started with um, Hype Yourself, which was published in 2020. Yeah. Um, talk to me about the experience of publishing that, the, the lead up, what you had planned, and then what I would love to know what your takeaways were from that first book that you then were able to apply to the next time the around. Second one. Yeah. So when I launched Hype Yourself as an idea in my head, I remember I had 1,628 followers on Instagram, which wasn't huge. And I think probably half of that were like friends and family and people I went to school with or people I'd worked with at creative agencies. And I deliberately set out and did a, a free PR tip or piece of advice because my book was going to be about PR every single day for a whole year. And That's I only- when I started following you, Lucy. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> and I only, t- I would take off holidays. Um, but other than that, it was like every day. And I set myself a challenge in that January that I won the book deal of, I'm going to do one blog post, um, one free talk and one podcast a month for the next three months. So I need to get nine in total. And the first two months I struggled. And by month three, I was they were it was beginning to like build and get momentum by month six literally I think a week before I gave birth I got like my dream paid for speaking opportunity and then I was like I've hit I've hit pinnacle I'm never gonna get any better that was for Courier magazine which if you don't know is like a modern business publication that was my my dream publication to be in and I'll let you know how I did that, which was essentially nobody wanted to book me for a talk because I'd been running an agency. So I had zero presence. Mm. Nobody knew who I was. So I decided rather than be the guest, I would be the moderator. And I invited three journalists to be on my panel and I interviewed them for small business owners and creative entrepreneurs of how they could pitch to these three different types of journalists. And oh. I picked three journalists who I wanted to cover me or my clients. So I had somebody from Courier Magazine. I had somebody from Just Entrepreneurs Magazine. And I had a national freelancer. Mm. Um, all of which was like, I didn't have any money to pay them. So I made them a goodie bag from like the clients I was working with at the time. So I think they had some like Jimmy's iced coffee and some marshmallows from the marshmallows, that sort of thing. Um, and just was very, very grateful. And then it was actually one of the journalists from Korea, who was at that talk, um, was in a meeting when they said, oh, we've just lost a panelist at the last minute. And they said, oh, actually, Lucy's really good at hosting a panel. We should book her. And that's how I how I got it. This is so good and so important to kind of talk about this timeline from kind of zero to six <laughs> months, because this is all about you just making the choice to kind of create some opportunities starting unpaid and then building up within six months to an ideal paid opportunity. Yeah. And at the same time, growing your platform. Yeah. Um, It's such a great example of what can be achieved. And I know it does take focus and I know also you're very experienced with PR. And so you were applying your knowledge that you already had to yourself, which maybe perhaps gave you a bit of an edge (laughs) for the rest of us. But at the same time, you you were starting from... Starting from scratch and also it's a real ego check when your job is actually to put other people on the stage and you try to put yourself on the stage and nobody wants you. (laughs) So, you know, I had to really swallow a lot of like, you are just a nobody and that's okay. That's okay. And, and, and actually what was really interesting during that period 
was the sort of questions that I would get asked. Yeah. Because suddenly I was like, oh, people don't actually understand the different types of journalists. They don't understand that they don't need a press release to get PR. Yeah. And so it actually helped me shape the way of the book. Because for me, it was, I I was surrounded by either um, books that were DIY PR, but it was literally only how to pitch to a journalist from a journalist. And to me, having worked in agencies, I was like, there's this whole other world there that they don't know about. And so for me, being on a podcast like this, you know, that is a PR opportunity. Speaking at an event is a PR opportunity. Showing up on social media is a PR opportunity. And I think so many people get so focused on, I've got to get the press release right and then whack it out. And actually it's, it's not about that. And if we're really drilling down into book sales, the person that shifted the most for me was actually a marketing person called Katie Mawena, who had a marketing um, newsletter and she shouted out my book and I could literally see the number on Amazon Author Central shooting up more from her than maybe two or three Instagram influencers yeah. with over 100,000 followers talking about it that I gifted a free copy to. So I, yeah. I, it's that business objective all the time of like, who is your audience? Yeah. And who are the people that you can play with who've got a good audience match for you? And that doesn't, like we've already mentioned, it doesn't always look like the big social media followings. It's that concentrated group it's mm. going to be so much more powerful for you and that's I think that's probably the harder lessons that I learned because yeah. I was still a bit blindsided by you know I was we were just off the back of that m- mother mum influencer it was before yeah. they all blew themselves up on tattle you know? yeah <laughs> oh that was there's this like there's a period about times. four or five years ago where yeah it was like there was this kind of cool mums group on Instagram and I just wanted to get my book in front of all of those sorts of types and actually it wasn't relevant because it's a book about PR for small businesses and creative entrepreneurs so actually connecting with other niche business owners like maybe somebody using SEO or email marketing or illustration it was so much more powerful and again it's that ego check of like it might not be as sexy as somebody who's got 250,000 followers but it's going to work for you. Yeah. And this is really important, I think, for anyone, no no matter what kind of, um, if you're writing nonfiction or memoir, no matter what field you're writing in, um, it applies to, it applies to everybody in that sense. You know, there are going to be people who are very trusted by their audience who will listen to what they recommend, whether that's on a podcast or on a newsletter or whatever it is, whatever your field is, it's about tapping into that and tapping into those very trusted voices within within your expertise and I think it's also for me um it's the people who really helped sort of support me on my book sales they're not just the ones who sort of hold it up once on camera or do a quick story it's the people who are like leaving you book reviews or who are really Mm. giving you lots of shouts out shout outs and unfortunately for me I went from so I gave birth whilst my book was in the the editing process and my second child was born with four rare congenital heart defects I was basically in and out of Great Ormond Street for the first seven months of his life whilst Mm. trying to finish the book and get the book out there but I actually think having the book kind of saved me through Mm. that time because it gave something I was like I can't give up on this. I've worked so hard on this. I've got to see this mm. across the line. And I remember people saying to me, like, don't you want to delay 
the launch because I knew I was going to go back into hospital about a week after the book came out. Yeah. I was like, no, I've I've not come this far to fall at the last hurdle. And and actually I was quite honest about that. Like after I did do a big launch event. And there's some tips around the launch event as well that I need to share. <laughs> um, but I, I was very honest about what I would and wouldn't be doing after that launch event. And so therefore the community around me kind of yeah. carried me mm. through that. Um, so I think it is showing like the challenges of, and the fears. I think all writers have that fear. Of, is anyone going to buy it? Is anyone yeah. going to review it? How do I ask this? And actually I think to uh, us, especially as Brits, the Brits and us like we have this kind of like Hugh Grant for weddings and a funeral vibe amongst us we're like oh uh, uh if it's okay would you mind terribly uh, just ask them outright you need to share it talking videos work best you haven't shared it yet can you share it after today yeah. I will leave you alone um and yeah I, I did what you're saying is is so important this idea of your you know you were honest about what was going on at home and your community, because you have relationships with these people, you know, they they trust you, you trust them, that because of that relationship you had with within community, they took the baton and ran with it. And yeah, I think did. that just cannot be underestimated, this idea of like, um, there is so much of that in publishing as well, I have to say. I've had incredible support from other authors and other members of the community of topics I've written about who um, go above and beyond to the point where it can be quite tearful when you get messages yeah. and see that people have recommended it and they've, you know, shout about it here and there. And, and even when you just sort of said, oh, I'd love you to share it if you, if you feel able to, and then they kind of go so above and beyond. It's really incredible. Yeah, um, amazing. And it's something that happens a lot within the writing community, but it really comes back to nurturing those relationships though. Yeah, totally. And I think that's where, you know, there's a lot of should you or shouldn't you get paid for giving your advice and talks for free. But I think, well, I hadn't asked really for a sale in that whole year. So I essentially had been working for free, I guess, in some mm. ways for a year. So when I finally was like, okay, now I've got something to buy. Like they were all happy to do so. Um, yeah. yeah, on that point. So when I launched the first book, I was on mat leave in, in a difficult time and I didn't have the money to do the party that I wanted to do or yeah. the energy or inclination to find a brand sponsor. So I actually charged tickets to my launch event, um, which I think was something like £7.50, like nothing yeah. crazy. And I paid for a drag queen to come and do a performance. And I got some stock from some other small businesses at wholesale price. And then, so I had like soft drinks, I had like kombucha and some various different like soft drinks. And then I had a vat of like gin and tonic, which I think I was like sort of like two bottles of gin, six bottles of tonic. Like. <laughs> <laughs> that would do, that's the bar. <laughs> There's that and beer and that's the bar. Um, and you could buy a book with your ticket price on top, or you could just get the ticket. And I didn't make any money from it, but I totally broke even. And I remember somebody being like, oh, you're commercializing your own book launch as an event to make money. And I was like, no, it's just my, I'm a small business owner on mat leave launching a book. I'm not with a big publisher. They're not covering anything. So I think it was, you know, it was less than £500 to pull all that together. Yeah. And I made that in the ticket sales. So I was like, yeah. That's amazing. And also sounds really fun. And yeah. it sounds like, I was like, how, many like have, <laughs> how many people have a drag queen at their book? I was basically like, I'm not having a glass of what, like, 
<laughs> warm Merlot in my local Waterstones with some KP nuts. I was like, yeah. this, that is not what I want. That is not who I am. <laughs> I need to find <laughs> what I look like and do it that way. I love it. I love it. That's so good. Okay. So hype yourself, which by the way, I, every, I think every writer who's intending on being published or is publishing in the pipeline needs to read this book. So please go read this book, but let's talk for a minute about the kind of, you've moved on to your second book, which we co-authored with Hadrian, your husband, who's a creative director, uh, a brand yourself. And so talk me through the takeaways from Hype Yourself that you went into brand yourself with, how you approached it slightly differently. And then also um, let's talk about some of the uh, interesting. Ah! <laughs> um, so if you're wondering why I'm cackling and we're like alluding, it's because I very publicly said, I want to become a Sunday Times business bestseller and put it out there very, very, very publicly and then very, very publicly completely swung and missed that target. Um, which actually was quite fun in a weird self-deprecating um, way. Um, but yeah, I think actually brand yourself, there's a few things. When you co-author, I think you naturally assume that you're going to share the load, particularly when it comes to marketing and promo. And if I'm honest, really brand yourself is Adrian's book. It's his mm. brain. And I describe it like that. Like he is the brain and I was just the brawn. So I essentially had this writing format from Hype Yourself. Mm. I applied it to Brand Yourself. There is a section in there that's mine, slightly more related on personal branding, but essentially it's all him. So yeah. we we pretty much wrote that book with me sending him audio note prompts and he would WhatsApp me his thoughts and I would type it up in wow. my own. That's my like a book. proper collaboration. <laughs> that is how we did it minus a few kitchen arguments before school runs where he hadn't given me the words <laughs> that I needed to be able to sit and write that day. Um, so, yeah, so really it was his book. It it was due to come out in September. I don't think the summer is a great run-up time mm. for a business book. I think there is a little bit of a, like, going back to school vibe in September, but if I could choose again, I would probably push the date back to the end of September mm. because – we don't have child, like most people who have book writing and children going on, the summer is spent looking after children and trying to navigate running businesses and summer holidays. Yep. <laughs> so it's not a great time to add in something else that's not really a revenue driver as an activity mm-hmm. into your business. Um, I also went all in, kind of on the advice of my publishers on Amazon. Um, I mean, I could go on a whole segue about how I don't really think Amazon number one category stuff means anything, but we can we can take that off later. <laughs> um, so I went all in on Amazon. And I think at one point we were looking at something insane, like two or three thousand pre-orders. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like. I think at that time I worked out to be a Sunday Times bestseller, you needed to get above 1,100 in launch week, which yeah. your pre-sales count towards, right? That's why everyone pushes. There's a, there's multiple reasons we push pre-sales. One is obviously because we want retailers to think there's an audience and for them to buy them, but also because, and this is how a lot of people actually hack the Sunday Times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, let's, let's talk about that because I think it's uh, probably a lot of people don't 
really understand that that's how you yeah. can get in the bestseller list in the first week. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of bestseller lists are done on Nielsen book ranking. So Nielsen's the kind of the governing body. It's why most of us can't actually find out how many books we've exactly sold because we don't work in publishing. We don't have access to it. But actually, if we can afford the five-figure database, you could just look at a click of a button and know right now exactly what your daily sales are, but we don't. Um, I digress. So people hack the bestseller system by basically flooding all of their sales in pre-launch, which could be months, Mm -hmm. and then in launch week. And then your your score is added up together and that is your total score. So so it looked like, oh, this person sold 1,100 copies in a week. Whereas actually, it's probably been three months of pre-launch. I was fine with hacking the system to try. (laughs) I would just like to say, um, because I think there are numerous examples of people I can see out there who are Sunday Times bestsellers. And then you can look two, three, four years later, and they're not selling a thing. Um, Anyway, so launch day comes round. We're looking good. And then all of a sudden, nobody can buy the book it's out of stock everybody who's ordered on amazon receives an email to say um that there was no distribution did they want to cancel their order because they wouldn't be able to get it for three months so a lot of people did cancel because why would you hold for three months if you're trying to support somebody who's in launch week they were going to um retailers retailers couldn't see it on the stock and i was the victim victim (laughs) such a It's fine. You're allowed to use that word. I'm. It's allowed. (laughs) It's not really a victim thing. I have bigger problems, but um, (laughs) there was a side effect, shall we say, of um, of COVID in that there was a lot of distribution and warehouse Mm. issues. There wasn't enough. It wasn't the. I mean, for other people with major publishers, there was also the printing and getting it shipped. Yeah, yeah. If you're with one of the big guns, like that was a problem. Yeah, I wasn't. I was still with the small guns, so really, we would we should have the ability to print on demand. But there was just, it was all sat in a warehouse and nobody had picked it up. So even though these pre-orders had been made, the kind of actually getting it out of stock didn't appear. So then I my publisher kind of said to me, look, don't worry, like Amazon, like normally they can update their system quite quickly. So I think within like two or three days, a second email came out to say it would be like three weeks. And then about two or three days after that, they were like, oh, no, you're actually going to get it by the end of this week. But each time. Yeah, you lost. I lost. Sales. So and let's I think it's just important at this point to clarify that in order for the sale to count, the book has to have been shipped. Yeah. So for for listeners to understand. So like pre-orders count once they've been shipped, which is why they count in the in launch week. It's like Um, when we order a pre-order and the money isn't taken until it's actually like sent. So we will buy it at that pre-order price. Yeah. But they didn't physically take the money until yeah. it's been shipped. So yeah, it it's a little bit like a, a Kickstarter in a way. Yeah. Like you're kind of pledging your money to this person. So um yeah, and I I'd gone all in on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Like all my links, everything. And I remember I'd just done the um Creative Rebels podcast literally on launch week. And they were like, we've got people in our audience like telling us they can't order the book anywhere. And loads of people like oh it's a good problem to have you're sold out and I was like Mm. but people are fickle it's a massive problem (laughs) they're not gonna go oh I couldn't buy it today 
So, you I'll know, remember in four days' time. Yeah, they might remember. Yeah. They've got a life. I am literally not the most important person. A book about branding or DIY branding is not going to change the world, funnily enough. So, um, so yeah, that was really kind of disheartening. And, and just to add to that, I seem to have this thing, and apparently, like a few authors do have this, where Every single time I launch a book, the week after I go into some kind of personal crisis. Oh no! Um, and in this one, I had a miscarriage. I don't know oh, why I'm laughing. It's not funny. It's literally not funny. But I, I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, like here I am again. And I was, like, I don't want to show up. So I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really talk on socials. Didn't really push it. Just was kind of really bitter and twisted about the delivery system. And I think, um, to be honest, as time has gone on, it's really hard to push multiple products. And obviously the books are great, but it's a stepping stone to yeah. then maybe work with me or do other things. And so for me, I'm like, brand yourself Adrienne's book. So actually he needs to be talking yeah. about it. And we actually sat down recently because we were looking at the numbers and I was like, we need to start re-pushing that book again. When I say we... I mean, you. <laughs> and we're going to actually put a strategy together. And I think, you know, that probably leads us on nicely, actually, to talking about the fact that we put so much pressure on ourselves for yeah. launch week, but you are always launching. And actually, so on the numbers, because I've, I've got them. Yeah, let's talk numbers. Today. It so, is so rare to be able to talk numbers with an author because obviously so often we don't have them. So uh, <laughs> do please go. It'll be great to hear about it. So, okay. So I will tell you when I, when I brought out Hype Yourself, cause my publishers is a hybrid. So you can either pay to publish with them or they offer a, a traditional publishing deal. So the launch week of Hype Yourself, I remember in that first launch week, I did 300. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if that meant anything, but it was enough for me to get a phone call from another publisher saying, are you actually on a deal? Cause if not, we'll take it. Sort of mm. um, and I did, I actually did do a over a thousand in the first month of Hype Yourself. And this publisher, who shall remain nameless, um, <laughs> it was a business imprint, so like nothing sexy. Um, but they basically told me in an ideal world, they would have liked me to have been hitting 5,000 in the first year to be seen as a commercial success for them. So anyway, um, I'm three years in on Hype Yourself, and I'm on 7,396. Mm. I'm like, that's not too bad. I think that's, I think that's, that's some pretty good numbers. I think that's there like are two a and a half a year. Yeah, that, there are a lot of nonfiction books that will never get anywhere near that number. I mean, so, nowhere, like some people wouldn't get nowhere near that number. So I was happy with that. And then Brand Yourself, I was a bit sad about Brand Yourself, bearing in mind we're a, we're a co-authored yeah. project. So we're a year and three months into Brand Yourself. And that's on 1,632. Mm-hmm. So definitely the second album of the band. <laughs> but I'm, like, I'm only a year in, so I've still got two years to catch up with Hype Yourself. This <laughs> is true. And also, let's talk about that for a second. Let's let's um, forget about launch week for a minute and let's talk about um, what it's like to promote a book that's already out there um, and and what are the kind of things that you and um, and your partner are going to be talking about in terms of a strategy going forward a year in? With how yeah. So actually on Brand Yourself, which is kind of like the second forgotten child. Sorry, babe. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
we were like, there's lots of things we haven't done, which mm. we could do. So Brand Yourself comes with a playbook, which goes with the book. Hype Yourself, it was more disjointed documents. So Brand Yourself, we got a bit more organized. Mm-hmm. It was a whole playbook. So even if you don't buy the book, you can download it. But I'm pretty sure most people only download it when they've got the book. And you can work through your brand strategy. And then you've basically got your brand guidelines to take away after it's all made. We've never contacted that list <laughs> that's downloaded it oh wow never so we were like actually there's a lot of opportunities for us Mm -hmm. there to go back to that list to say if you haven't written a review um do you want to do one and then you can win a one-to-one session with adrian or um you know all these kind of things i was like we've never spoken to anybody that we know has bought the book not even to say (laughs) thanks so that's definitely a starter yeah um, we're also terrors, even though every January, our biggest freebie, our biggest thing that we make that gets people to sign up to our newsletter is a calendar dates resource. And it has like hundreds of key calendar dates on there, which includes things like World Book Day, National Freelance mm. Day, Small Business Saturday. We've got our own book anniversary, you know, when we got the deal, when the proposal was accepted, when the book came out. We, we have been terrible at marking any of those occasions. And in fact, like the first birthday of Brand Yourself came, I saw an email from the publisher and instantly deleted it because I was like, I can't think about this this week. It's just, there's too much sort of um, coming on. So um, Brand Yourself, we definitely are going to, I'm definitely going to take a bit more of it. Actually, I'm just going to use him as the face of it and start pushing him out more with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, on Hype Yourself, I've actually had the biggest wins for that in the last six months, two and a half years after launching. So I That's think anybody so out there who's doing their own publicity or promotion on their books and feeling like it's come out like a wet lettuce. <laughs> um, I am a PR professional and it's still taken me two and a half years to really probably hit the level of noise that I wanted to, mm. to hit. And one of those was an 800 word um, article in the Times, mm-hmm. which I actually got, bearing in mind, we've talked about the fact that I essentially run a business <laughs> with my husband. Um, if you don't know, I've also recently moved to the south of France. And so we got into the property section of the Times Mm-hmm. talking about how um, post-pandemic, us pivoting our business to more DIY work led to us being able to move abroad. And it included a plug for the books. And the photo that we had of ourselves was us like holding the books in our office. Yeah. So we got the book plug in there. Um, and the other big piece that I got was with a big podcaster in the US called Chris Doe. Mm-hmm. Um, he's actually a branding expert. So Adrian was pretty annoyed that I landed, <laughs> I landed that and not, not him. But I was sat next to him at an event and I had a copy of my book in my bag. So I gave it to him. So uh, just always kind of remember really that your stories, there's so many more stories about you and how mm. your books impacted your life than just in launch and always have a copy on you because you never know who you're going to oh get that next to. That is the best advice. And oh my goodness, I am, I'm feeling reinvigorated to kind yes. of get a bit more into tender again. I feel like it is like a bit of a forgotten child because I've been so busy working on the next. Yeah. Books. But it's, it's always like that. And I think, and actually 
I think it's like that for a lot of authors. And I mm. see, especially authors who are primarily writers who have more than two or three books. Yeah. I see them go crazy for three months and then you never see it again. Maybe yeah. it gets a byline on a bio somewhere. And I think actually, guys, we've got so much content in our books. We, you know, we can be sharing extracts. We can be sharing like sales updates. We can, like I did a video for Hype Yourself because actually, yeah, this was in the last six months as well. We got, I got translated into Vietnamese. Who knew? I didn't know. I didn't know I had such a market out there. Amazing. <laughs> um, so then I was like, this is my first international edition, which for me is a big, I'd like French or US, but you know, whatever, can't, <laughs> small publisher can't choose. I was like, I'm still going to celebrate it. Yeah. Um, and I received my first like Vietnamese copy of Hype Yourself. I was like, oh my gosh, like it's amazing that it still goes on. And I think every time there is a win like that, it does spur me on to keep going. Mm-hmm. But my my kind of like tips for launching are essentially, you are always launching. Yeah, and it, it's a marathon, and I've been working on a few in the different ways that I work with people. I've had three authors on the go at the moment, and it's just constantly having to reiterate: it's not just about the first two weeks. Like, don't burn yourself out, and yeah. there's still yeah. stuff happening now, two, three, four, six months later, and it's making sure you've got enough gas in the tank to do that. But if it's been dead for six months, that's fine; you can resurrect it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we're not Jesus. We can bring ourselves back whenever we like. <laughs> oh, I'm feeling so inspired. I'm feeling so inspired. Um, there's a couple of things. There's something you've mentioned a couple of times that I want to pick up on. You have. There's been a few times that you've mentioned the fact. Obviously, this is really time consuming work, and and selling a book is not. It's not a big money thing for you. I want to dig into why you did it in the first place, and and how it fits into your business in general, and. Um, and why it was important for you to to pursue this. <laughs> yeah. So I'd just like to say, I would love it if this was my full-time job. And maybe writing will become my full-time job at some point. But we also have to be realistic. A niche business book on PR is probably not going to dominate the New York Times bestseller list for decades to come because it's quite niche and that's okay. So my ego has to take a little bit of um, <laughs> that that on board as well. It's not a game changer. Um, for me, when I launched my own business, I did it because I wanted to provide affordable PR to people who couldn't afford to work with PR agencies. But even as low as I could put my fees, by the time you put an office in and mm-hmm. a team in and you're paying for business insurance and tax and PAYE, all these other things, it it was not a viable business. I still couldn't make it as affordable as I needed to. And I believe that for a lot of business owners, and when I say business owner, I mean anybody who's got a side hustle to freelancer to someone who's running a micro agency. Yeah. There's a reason they set up those businesses and they will have a passion and an energy for that business that nobody else can can portray it's like it's magic like I it's why I love working with like business owners and founders and freelancers like the passion and the and the energy they have for their mm-hmm. business is like a magic tonic and I get like buzzed off of like hanging out with them so for me the book was my kind of way of being like okay for 15 quid you can learn how mm-hmm. to do so much of this for yourself 
And then maybe after that, you might want to invest in an online course or you might want to book a one-to-one session with me for an hour or maybe you want ongoing um, mentoring. Um, Historically, I was still kind of running a bit of the consultancy model. Now with child number three on the way, I am pausing on that for a little bit just um, to focus more on the teaching side of things because we can't do it all and I need need that flexibility. but for me, it was always as part of my proposal, I had this plan of like what was going to come after the book. So for me, the book really is the best business card. Mm, yeah. And it's opened so many doors. You know, I wouldn't be on this podcast with you now. Yeah. If I hadn't, we maybe we might have if I'd worked with a few more authors, but it was really because of my own experience. Like that yeah. massive podcast I got is because I gave him the book. And I cannot tell you the amount of times he giving physically giving somebody the book has completely changed the, the the opportunity for me. And it's got me teaching in universities, teaching in creative accelerators. I've I've got to work with some amazing um, women's social enterprises where they're championing like minority founders. And I get to work in those spaces and, and yeah. teach them how to promote themselves and help pull out their stories and get them out there. So it's really helped me pivot as well from that kind of corporate agency retainer business model into flexible work that fits around my life yeah as well as working with people who you are passionate about working with yeah totally so um and I I did read a lot of PR books when I kind of started my consultancy I almost had to go back on the shop floor again yeah when you're in a big creative agency the higher up you get the kind of further away you actually get Mm -hmm. from the work so I wasn't pitching to journalists or writing anymore. I was just yeah. managing spreadsheets and PowerPoints and teams, but I wasn't actually speaking to any press. Yeah. So when I started to read all the other PR books out there, most of them were written by men. Gross. <laughs> when yeah. the PR industry is two thirds women. As well. I, I was going to say, it's so ridiculous because every PR person I know is a woman. But yeah. <laughs> is there either a woman? or non-binary, or a gay man. So I was like, yeah. where are all these old straight guys coming from <laughs> telling us how to do PR? I've never seen you in the trenches of the PR yeah. world at all. Um, so that was that. And then the second one was that, it, I, like I kind of mentioned earlier, most PR books are written by journalists. And I was like, it's not just PR. is yeah. not just getting into a newspaper. That is publicity. Yeah. Um, and so for me, it was like teaching people kind of like going almost full circle to what we said at the beginning that you know something that can be so much more powerful is being featured in a very niche newsletter versus getting in you know getting in the times that sounds great great for my kudos nothing happened to my newsletter subscribers and my follow account after that piece appeared it's just something nice to show off yeah. Yeah. This is a, this is a really important point. And I think um, it's worth sort of always reiterating that it's not necessarily the big things that shift things for a writer on a, in a really deep way. Occasionally, like obviously getting reviewed in the times or something like that is a pretty big deal. And it's great to be able to then talk about as something that your book has been through. Sounds but so fancy. I can it sounds fancy. It. Yeah. It sounds fancy, but it's not really everything that it comes down to it It comes down to you know your book being championed by other people whoever those people might be whether they're booksellers or people that have a really dedicated podcast listeners or really dedicated newsletter readers um or whatever it is but um but it's 
it is really great. And I, I love, I loved hearing you put that all together because I think so often, um, you know, we have to be realistic about how much time goes into book writing, writing the proposal, first of all, not even knowing if it's going to go anywhere, that can take a huge amount of time. And then when, if you do get a little bit of money to go ahead and write it, um, it's usually not huge amounts unless you are very famous. Um, and compared to the amount of time you're putting in and time away from other work often, because you'll often have to kind of lose a few clients or push them away a little bit and maybe cut back on a little bit of income time. Sometimes I certainly had to, um, in order to create the time that you need to write the book that you really want to write. Um, it's really a long game, isn't it? It's a long game and it's an investment in, in you and your expertise and your platform. Um, and it's a, also, I think what's, what's driving so many writers that I work with is this idea of like, I have all this knowledge and not everyone can afford to work with me. And I want to share some of that knowledge in an accessible way. And books are just so accessible. So accessible. And I think that's why also even I, I see it a lot with writers who, like you've had some great press coverage. They'll share it once and then you never see it ever again. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, actually, there's a few things that I would say as a kind of follow up to if you do get these bigger wins, if you are a published author and, and you get a big win, you can share it more than once. Yeah. Um, I always forget about this. <laughs> share it more than once. I always encourage authors I work with to thank the journalist, to send them a personal note, mm. to tag the journalist anytime that you're featuring that coverage, because the journalist as well, they are also part of the business machine. Yeah. So they want as many eyeballs as possible on their article. So the more that you can look like a sales rep for that journalist, the mm. more they're going to remember you and like you. So, um, you know, Forbes, for example, if you can get onto Forbes, that's algorithm based. The more immediate traffic that hits Forbes, the more likely you are to hit the homepage. And if you hit yeah. the homepage of Forbes, it's jackpot. Yeah. So I'm like, as soon as something comes out, share it immediately, tag the journalist, put it on all places. Don't just do it once, like keep going. And that's another thing you can almost plot into your anniversaries of like, it was six months ago oh, I was in gosh. the Observer. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, you don't need to just do it once or do like a roundup. You know, this is my press highlights reel. Have it, you know, have a link to, you have to be a little bit careful with showing um, full-blown articles. Yeah. But like logos, you're pretty safe with logos. Have the logos on your website. Click through to the yeah. online articles. Have a little press highlights thing on your Instagram. Just you know, don't be afraid to kind of, again, the Brits are terrors at this of like sharing it only once. Yeah. Because the likelihood is probably less than 1% of your audience following you on social is going to have seen it. Yeah. So this is me giving you all permission to hype yourselves share by sharing, away. share away. And it, it doesn't just have to be once. Yeah. Oh, that's such great advice. That is such great advice. Um, so let's go back to the beginning of the journey for a second now. We've talked about the launch and we've talked about how we all need to get better at at hyping ourselves well after launch, but let's go right back to the beginning. Any, any writers who are listening, mm. um, I'm going to include myself in this. I've got a book coming out in 24. I'm hoping there'll be another one in 25, big question mark over that one, but we'll see. Um, so I've also got to think ahead to those things. So for writers who are 12 to 24 months away, which is very, very typical timeline for, for, uh, um, an author who's publishing yeah. away from launching, 
what are the kind of, and also people who are working right now on a book proposal that they yeah. really want to get off the ground. What are some, what, what are some ways of deciding where is the best place to put my energy at this stage in the mm-hmm. early stages? I love this question. Um, I kind of do like a version of like top of the pops with yourself. <laughs> so um, think top five, cause we don't, you know, we are time constricted and really think about, okay, who are the top five people I want to be positioned alongside? So for you, that could be other authors, that might be other women that talk about the same topics that you talk about. Uh, Can you invite them to be a contributor in your book? Is now a good time to start building a relationship with them so they could be an endorser of your book? Um, What are they working on? Can you support something that they're working on with your audience and reach out? Like you own a podcast, you've already got a platform Mm. where you can you can take your pick of all the dream people you would like to collaborate with to invite them onto your podcast. So don't forget about all the assets that you've got. And I think um, people are often too scared to ask, but if somebody has a newsletter or a blog or a podcast and says to me, do you want to come on to talk about this? Or can I send you some questions to do this? Nine times out of 10, I'm going to do it. Unless unless I look at your feed and think your values really don't align with mine, I'm pretty much going to say yes, because I am a PR junkie. Um, And I just think any opportunity is an opportunity for me to hit a new audience. So really be strategic in who do I want to be playing with and how Mm. can I start to build that relationship with them? Do I want to get a TED talk in the future? Find who's organizing your local TEDx and know what it is that you want to talk about. So what are the places, the spaces, the networks, the brands, the people, the podcasts? Just kind of draw like a little media mind map for yourself, like vision board your next two years. These are the top five and go for it. And, you know, we don't want to be insane and pick like, you know, Tom Cruise, Julia Roberts. I don't know why I'm going 90s film references, but (laughs) that's where we're going. You know, obviously dreaming big is great. So set ourselves a few big hairy ones. But pick some that are just out of reach as well, because sometimes those just out of reach people are actually more on a similar path to us than we realise. I think that's great advice. I've always, with everything I've done the last few years in terms of building, platform building, have focused on the just out of reach. And I can tell you that's where you really, gosh, you move forward when you're kind of just reaching just slightly beyond yourself, just slightly into your your discomfort. But actually, really I bet Penny, forward. you think that they're just out of reach and they're probably really flattered and honoured to collaborate with you. <laughs> maybe, maybe. But even when it's um, it feels just a bit out of reach and it is a bit of a stretch, sometimes we do need to just stretch ourselves a little bit because obviously I think when you're stretching, when you're stretching yourself often, I feel like it's when you often prove that you couldn't do something you didn't realize you could do as well yeah and don't just take the easy options okay so Mm -hmm. like I've written a PR book my publisher really wanted me to get like PR coverage and I was like that's not my audience my audience is small business people and creative people so I kind of purposefully ignore PR even though it would be sort of easy for me to play in that space because it's not going to sell any books for me just like with branding we didn't really speak to any branding publications so yeah. I think it's trying to look at those sort of other spaces outside of our obvious sector. Mm. Who is our audience and where are they playing? And if you don't know, like now's a great time to start saying like, what do you read? What podcasts do you listen to? What mm. mag- you know, what magazines or you know, where are you getting your content? 
I'm not a massive video person, but a lot of people are like my husband, because he's dyslexic, he only watches YouTube. Yeah. So he's actually like, I should do more video stuff because I'm not a writer. Whereas he's like, it makes sense for you to do more writing work and more blog posts and more articles. And that's the other thing, like play to your strengths as well. If if you can churn out those words, get pitching to other places that you can write. But if you're like, actually, I kind of prefer the energy and the interaction of a podcast, go go podcast. So find the kind of the medium that makes you have fun because ultimately it it needs to be fun. If your promotion feels like a chore, you're not going to do it. You yeah. need to feel energized from it yeah. because when when you have fun, we have fun with you, right? Like we, yeah, absolutely. We I love that. Board. And I, I've always, I've, I've been pitching myself to podcasts for years, sort of before I, I had my first book. And to me, that's one of those, in a way, easy ones because I really enjoy having conversations, in depth conversations with people. Um, obviously, hence why I started a podcast. And so to me, it's a no brainer that that's an area that I'm like, I just need to it's an area that I focus on and I know other people who really really can't stand it and would much rather be pitching articles and that's yeah. fine isn't it it's just about knowing hit, where hit, where you kind of can hit your 100 yeah. percent. and and for anybody who's sat there going oh I don't know how to pitch you know I'm pre-launch or during launch or post-launch just think of it like when somebody approaches you on LinkedIn or I tell you what, very occasionally I get these, like maybe it's like an apprentice or an internship request. And you can really tell the, the person who's kind of spray and prayed the same CV and cut and paste email yeah. versus the person who's like, I've seen that you've written this and I loved when you collaborated on that. And actually I was thinking maybe I could do this. And so when it comes to pitching, I think that's why as well, picking the five is important. You want to know who it is that you're trying to collaborate or be part of and and it feel genuine. And I can, that's also as well, I think when I can tell the difference between when somebody is inviting me onto something, if it's somebody that knows me or if they're like, oh, she's got above 10,000, I mean, 10,000 is nothing. But if they're like, oh, she's got above 10,000 followers on Instagram, I'm going to invite her onto my IG live or whatever. Mm. And, And whether they actually know me and what it is I talk about or not. Yeah. So just, you know, it's yeah. not rocket science. It is just being genuine. Yeah. And I get obviously a lot of pictures for this podcast. <laughs> um, and I, bet I love asking people on podcasts. Yeah. Like what's the best way and the worst way that you've been pitched to? So the worst is a generic press release. Um, I hate press releases. Yeah. Obviously, I always get a press release when I actually get a copy of the book. And also when I get a pitch from an (laughs) in-house PR person, they do attach a press release. But that's just for extra because books have press releases because it's got the dates, publication and stuff on it. That's fine. I'm really happy to have that as an extra. But I don't book the author because of the press release. It's just there for extra information. I book because of the way that the PR person has described what it is they do and why that would suit my audience. Um, so I'm fine with it if it's added on. I don't, <laughs> because sometimes it has got some useful information in it. Um, but but I can't stand it when the actual email is a press release. That drives <laughs> me crazy. And also um, when it's, you know, it's when it's really clear nobody's listened to the podcast and um and I, it's so obviously not really suited to the kind of things we talk about. Um, you know what's interesting, actually, the best ones I get obviously are people who um, who have listened and understand the breadth of the kind of authors I have on, yeah. um, and also say right away something that's sort of an angle to talk about. That's not just 
I'm going to talk about my book. Yeah. I'm going to talk about this kind of thing that relates to my book, but it's also quite specifically an actual pitch, basically an actual pitch. Um, And that's, that's the best kind. And I prefer to be approached either by authors or publicists. I, the thing I'm hating at the moment is I'm starting to get pictures. Gosh, I wonder if they're going to listen. I'm starting to get pictures from podcast bookers. Oh yeah. They won't be listening. (laughs) They're they're not. You'll be on a database. Any any, um, writers listening, do not book, do not pay for a podcast picture. Don't pay for that. Do your own research. I know yes. it's time consuming, but just do it yourself because I get really generic ones from them. And to be honest, I'm just never going to book through them. But I also think as well, like, you know, part of the reason we're having such a great time today, right? <laughs> we're going to have a second date, yeah? Like putting all the pressure on Penny. No, but because we already know each other yeah, and you, we already know a bit about each other's journeys, it, it helps on the podcast because there's that natural rapport there. Whereas when you don't know somebody at all and you've never listened to the show and you don't know anything about them, I think you can, you, you can, it's a different. Yeah. It's a different I, experience. I, I don't yeah. feel like it. I just don't feel like it's as powerful. Yeah. So that's why I'm like, yeah, just pick in two years. If you're right at the beginning of your journey in two years, you've got time to pick four or five podcasts yeah. that you like. And just, you even need to listen to like the whole series, just listen to a few episodes just to feel like, is this the sort of thing that would suit me? Yeah. Because the worst thing you can do is be on a podcast and be like, it, it'd be a waste of time for everybody because it's not a brand fit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I mean, we could go on and on. I know, but, I think, but we're going to have to stop. We should pause there and we'll just have to do this again another time. <laughs> perhaps, after your, perhaps after your next maternity leave, we'll, we'll have another crack at this because there's just so much to dig into. Um, I really hope people listening are feeling maybe, I hope feeling a little bit less daunted by this because I know it's a big thing. It's a big thing to have to always hype yourself. It's yeah, not it necessarily is. always a right somebody, happy place. And I do it for a living and <laughs> I still have those like smack my head on desk crying moments where I'm like, oh, this is so hard. So please take comfort in that and just hashtag always launching. Just always launching. Always, always launching. And it's like, you just never know. You just keep taking those little steps forward. I also, sorry, final, no, final tip. No, 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 go for it. Final tip. Always have a copy on you, not tatty. Try and keep it in something. Such um, I also, I hide it in like hotels or spaces <gasps> where I think my book would fit in. Oh my God, that's such a good idea. So I started stashing it in places where I go where it's a bit creative. Yeah, this is so important. And also I would say as well, because I remember, I mean, I had to buy my first book. I bought a lot of copies because I wanted to gift a copy to every person I interviewed as a thank you. I felt like the least I could do from the incredible stories that people gave me. So that meant buying, I think, 40 copies alone just for that. Um, And you don't get given many. You get like, I don't know, maybe eight or 10, maybe something like that. Um, And then I I bought a whole bunch extra for for people I just wanted to have a copy. And I think that's always really good to remember. And again, with the paperback, it's really, it's a really, really, really incredibly good investment to have a piece of your book away. Give them away. I want to put a disclaimer on my sales figures because that doesn't include the private copies I've purchased for myself or sold privately. There we go. Yes, exactly. And I think it's an incredible <laughs> investment in. Yeah, it is. It is. It's a really worthwhile thing doing. Yeah. And it, and I think somebody worked out like when you actually work out the cost, if you want to take somebody for a coffee and the cost to take X number of people for a coffee versus just giving them a book. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a good return on your marketing investment. Absolutely. Okay. So 
where is the best people place for people to come find you online? Um, so I'm Lucy Werner, which is like W-E-R-N-E-R. Um, Lucy Werner PR on all social media channels. I'm probably the most active on Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, and yeah, you'll just sort of see me chatting around. I do welcome, I don't like a can I pick your brain type things, but if it's a quick question on something or other, then always feel free to DM. You also have great freebies on your website and your newsletter, which I will put in the show notes as well. So I'll put all those links in the show notes. There are so many great things you can get from Lucy that she has out there already. So do go and find her. um, It's so great to have um, somebody who's so generous with their with all of their their knowledge, but also so specifically around publishing, which um, is <laughs> yeah. fantastic. And I'm sure <laughs> people will flag this episode up and listen to it again um, as Hopefully. they're closer to launch. As well. <laughs> Nobody wants to be the like, the least listened to episodes. So. <laughs> no, I'm sure this will be. I Obviously, I will I'll be, be listening the episode this. multiple times as the good PR <laughs> that I am. <laughs> Um, and it's been me. such a great reminder for me of all the things that I'm not currently doing. For my <laughs> so you've inspired me. Um, thank you so much for coming thank on. Thank you. <laughs>